Hi, and welcome to our fourth Universalist Service video. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and it's so great to have you here with us today. What follows are selections from our service on January 30th, 2022. In this video and audio podcast, you'll hear the reading and the reflection from our service. And following that, we hope you'll join us for a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week, posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as all of your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the sharing, and subscribing, these all help to spread forth Universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the land of the Munse Lenape peoples. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work, as well as we work to embrace the APUU principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. reading is titled Magnificat. It was written by the now retired Unitarian Universalist minister, W. Frederick Wooden, and is a creative adaptation of the Song of Mary, found in the first chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. My soul magnifies God. We are enlarged. And my spirit breaks out rejoicing in the face of freedom. That God, something now within, yet not mine, has glanced at this daughter of hope. And behold, henceforth, time will know and regard me. For that great mystery is a beam drawn through this lens. Comforting me and all people, the shadows now dispersed. There is strength here, like the sinew of a mother's arm. It shatters the brittle pride of wealth. It levels the clay foot thrones of tyrants. Holds the forgotten, the scarred. Hunger, both body and soul, will be filled. Riches, will no more be rewarded. The Holy One cleaves to those who keep faith. It will endure in those who serve mercy. And the promise made to legend ancestors will be kept. Here ends the reading. What comes to mind when you hear the word prophet? Do you think of a mature man wearing long robes and who has a long beard, calling to the people to return to their faith and to walk in the ways of kindness and mercy? Someone like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Mia? Do you think of a young man dressed in poor clothes with an unkempt appearance? 
howling in the desert about the coming of the Messiah, someone like John the Baptist? Do you think of a wise man who gives perceptive, obscure predictions about the future, someone like Nostradamus? Do you think of an inspired poet or writer, someone with a sensitive soul whose words are sublime, eloquent, and expressive, someone like Dante Alighieri, Wolf Waldo Emerson, Emily Dickinson, or Khalil Gibran? Do you think of someone whose leadership and passion toward cause or belief or a group is so transformational and effective that that person becomes a spokesperson for a particular cause or group? Someone like Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., or Desmond Tutu. None of these images of a prophet are right or wrong because the term prophet, while having specific historical origins, has expanded in meaning to include not just a historical figure who utters divine revelations, but also someone who is gifted with extraordinary spiritual or moral insights, or one who aims to foretell future events, or even one who is an impressive or leading figure for a specific ideal, belief, or group. In some ways, it makes sense that the term prophet has expanded in meaning since its original meaning is that of someone who wrote one of the 17 prophetic books which are compiled in the Hebrew Bible. After the period of time when these books were written, which was five to eight centuries before Amenhotep, the prophecies of prophets ceased and God no longer communicated with the people of Israel in that way. So that the rabbis who later composed the Talmud taught that the spirit of prophecy had ceased and the era of the prophets had come to a close. And so while that type of Old Testament prophet was no longer seen, other types of prophets emerged like the ones I mentioned earlier. Today's reading provides an example of how the prophetic legacy of the Hebrew Bible came to be used by someone who we don't think of as a prophet. Today's reading was based on the words of Mary from Luke's gospel, whose words were also sung in the anthem before the reading. In the context of Luke's gospel, Mary, a pious woman in Nazareth, is pregnant with Jesus and goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth in Judea, who herself is pregnant with John the Baptist. When they meet each other, Mary's character proclaims this canticle, which begins by praising God and praising God of mercy, power, and righteousness. What comes next is what I want to focus on most. Mary then discusses in her ode what it means to be the mother of the Messiah, both for her personally and for her people. The Messianic age will be one where the world as she knew it would be transformed through a process of reversals. In this new Messianic age, the proud will be humbled and brought low, the poor and low ranking will be lifted up, those who are hungry will be fed, and the rich will be deprived of their wealth. These radical suggestions didn't come out of nowhere though. The author of Luke's gospel would have been familiar with the writings of the prophet Isaiah, as would the historical Mary of Nazareth. 
Isaiah, like the prophet, like the other prophets from the Hebrew Bible, uh, prof prophesied on behalf of the God of Israel by saying, the kind of fasting I want is this, remove the chains of oppression and the yoke of injustice and let the oppressed go free. Share your food with the hungry and open your homes to the homeless poor. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear and do not refuse to help your own relatives. Then my favor will shine on you like the morning sun and your wounds will be quickly healed, end quote. The difference between the words of Mary and Isaiah is that Mary seems to be saying that these changes are already happening, whereas Isaiah is offering a vision of what things could be like if the people assent to it. In both cases, though, the prophetic message is clearly one of social justice, albeit with political implications, which is to say that this vision of social justice happens not because democratically elected governments create redistributive programs to increase equity and fairness, but because God or God's messy representative will directly rule over the people and cause this change to happen. Regardless, Mary's words in Luke's gospel have been a source of inspiration to many throughout the ages. And if nothing else, her prophecy that all generations will call her blessed has certainly come true. Elizabeth Johnson, a professor of theology at Fordham University, wrote of this church's enduring appeal by saying, the Magnificat is a revolutionary song of salvation whose political, economic, and social dimensions cannot be blunted. People in need in every society hear a blessing in this canticle. The battered woman, the single parent without resources, those without food on the table or without even a table, the homeless family, the young abandoned to their own devices, the old who are discarded, all are encompassed in the hope Mary proclaims, end quote. And this is true. People in need of material change and transformation have heard these words through the ages, and it made those with power quite uncomfortable. For example, during a period of time when the British ruled India, it was forbidden to sing the Song of Mary because the lyrics were too incendiary. In the 1980s, the words of Mary were banned from being read aloud in public in Guatemala because Mary's proclamation of God's special concern for the poor was considered to be too dangerous and revolutionary by the American-supported military which terrorized the population through torture, forced disappearances, and a scorched earth policy. The same was true in El Salvador in the 1980s when it too was in the midst of civil war and being governed by a regressive military junta. Mary's words had also been banned in Argentina by its military junta after a group called the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, whose children all disappeared during the dirty war of 1976 to 1983, displayed these biblical verses on signs and posters in the main plaza in Buenos Aires. To this day, in Nicaragua, a country which has had decades of political instability and repression, Mary's words are a favorite prayer among many of the peasants there, who also carry a copy of these verses with them as a type of devotional.
Having said that, while Mary's prophetic words have resonated through the centuries, and though the Israelite prophets continue to inspire devotion, reform, and justice in those who read their books, the political impact of prophecy isn't necessarily always in, in favor of justice, integrity, and truth. The journalist Ruth Graham wrote recently about how the phenomenon of prophecy is still alive and well in our own time and country, but in ways which we would find puzzling. Graham noted that the interest in being able to reveal the future is one which has been present in ancient and modern societies, whether through prophecies, oracles, or astrology. In recent years, she wrote, self-described prophets have proliferated across this country, accelerating in stature over the course of the era of the previous presidential administration. These self-described prophets are stars within what is now one of the fastest growing corner of Christianity, a loose but fervent movement led by hundreds of people who believe they can channel supernatural powers and have special spiritual insights into world events. Many of these people are independent evangelists who don't lead churches or other institutions, but who operate primarily through Christian media online, on the radio or on TV, and also through appearances at conferences or as guest speakers in churches, making money through book sales, donations, and speaking fees. These alleged prophets are also part of the rising appeal of conspiracy theories in evangelical and fundamentalist Christian settings, echoed by the popularity of the QAnon conspiracy among many evangelicals, and in opposition to any mainstream source of information or data which contradicts their own beliefs. The vision of these prophets isn't limited to national politics, though. It can also extend to sports, the weather, global events, particularly if it has to do with the Middle East, particularly the Holy Land, or even pop culture, as evidenced by rapper Kanye West's recent interest in evangelism and creating his own church. Many of these present-day prophets warn their followers against trusting what they read or hear in the news, and instead offer their followers a kind of alternative news cycle by interpreting events in the real world through a supernatural perspective. One example of these kinds of modern day self-described prophets is Jeremiah Johnson, a 33-year-old who in 2015 was one of the few evangelical Christians to take Donald Trump's candidacy for president seriously. Through the years, he amassed a social media following of hundreds of thousands of people who eagerly consumed his predictions on everything, ranging from the COVID-19 pandemic to Supreme Court nominations, to the future of Christianity in our country. During the election of 2020, Johnson's followers were relieved to know that he had received a prophetic dream in which the incumbent would be victorious in the election. When that didn't happen as he predicted, the backlash was substantial, and he had to offer an apology to his online followers, asking for their forgiveness for inaccurately prophesying that Donald Trump would win a second term in office. Johnson wasn't the only one whose prophecies weren't accurate. 
In April of 2020, while most people were conf confined to their homes during the pandemic, self-described prophet Chuck Pierce publicized his prophecy that the coronavirus pandemic would be finished 40 days after Passover, and that by, quote, the power of Jesus's blood, we will cross over into new levels of his promises, end quote. Clearly, that one hasn't come true either. Cindy Jacobs, another popular author and self-described prophet, said she received a word from God that if there were to be a global day of prayer in March 2020, then God would contain the spread of the coronavirus. That day of prayer happened and passed, and we're still waiting for the containment of the virus. In October 2021, Donald Trump attended a prayer rally at a megachurch in Las Vegas, where a self-proclaimed prophet said that God spoke to her and, quote, the Lord said to me, I'm going to give your president a second win, end quote. With so many failed predictions and prophecies, the evangelical Christian prophetic movement is in crisis. Though it's also true that there remains a great craving in our society for this type of phenomenon. The type of clarity and reassurance that evangelical Christian self-proclaimed prophets provide is also provided by psychics and astrologers, the use of both of which has also been increasing, albeit by different demographics. At the end of the day, all people have a desire for more certainty and comfort because so often life is unpredictable and confusing. Prophets provide that certainty and comfort for many people. As people of a free faith, I think it's important for us to recognize this need in ourselves and in our neighbors, but also to remember that while we value the prophetic words and deeds of those who challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love, at the same time, we must heed the guidance of reason and the results of science, which warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. For myself, I believe that the future is unwritten and anyone's guess about the future is as good as any other. I think the rabbis of old were right in saying that the age of prophecy has ended and our use of the word prophet or prophetic for those figures who came after the age of prophecy is simply poetic. For us today, we can hear the prophetic words of our forebears in faith, like the prophetic words of the Magnificat, and we can value them because through them, our visions of the moral life is enlarged. When we see that the lowly are comforted, the pride of wealth is shattered, the thrones of tyrants are leveled, and the spiritual and physical hungers of people are filled, then we can know that the words of the prophet have been fulfilled. Thank you. Reverend Mark, it's so good to get to sit down with you once again. Thank you for this amazing and challenging message. Absolutely, you're very welcome. I first, for any maybe new listeners, would you like to give uh, like five second? What's your elevator introduction? 
<laughs> to anyone who hasn't met me yet, I don't know if there is such a person yet, but uh, I'm, you know, just to say I'm a minister, social worker working at Fourth U now is covering family leave minister, though I'm, uh, you know, normally an affiliate community minister and just passionate about liberal religion and life in the city. Very busy, busy. Ah. Yeah. So this message about profits, uh, I will admit, you know, the, I, I mean, you know, I had to uh, ask you to like explain to me what exactly was going on with this one because I was like, okay, what, what do I do a time for ladies with? What questions do I come up with for for this discussion? Uh, and I was like, what? I'm so curious what this what this topic was, and I ended up finding it to be a, a very fascinating uh, message. So, what was the inspiration for for this message? Yeah, so the inspiration for this message comes from a couple of different sources. Um, you know, on the one hand, Unitarian Universalists are very committed to issues of social action and social justice. And um, one of the, sometimes I think there can be some confusion about why we're, you know, passionate about those things. Um, I think sometimes people think it's because we're just the Democratic Party at prayer. Um, but, there, you know, I think there, there's more to it than that. And a lot of those um, issues that we're concerned about, whether it's housing or food or, um, equity or, you know, all those things, you know, it, it goes back to a, a very ancient vision that was promulgated by the prophets, uh, you know, 2,800 years ago in, in the Holy Land. And at the same time, it's also complicated because the prophets, uh, from a biblical sense, um, their vision may not align necessarily with our vision. If someone today were to proclaim that she or he had a, a divine message from on high and to say, um, you know, this is what God wants for us right now, even if it was a message that we completely agreed with, uh, we would have the right to be skeptical and most of us would be skeptical. And um, also the prophets also tended to be very, um, kind of like black and white thinking. It's like, this is how it has to be. This is the message from on high. And uh, you have to you know, follow it unless you know, you're ready for doom and destruction. So it's, it's, it's a complicated legacy, the prophetic legacy. There's aspects of it that we can embrace, but then um, we kind of forget about the things about it that make us uncomfortable. And so I just wanted to highlight this complicated uh, legacy of the prophets. That, that was the inspiration. And, and I'll just also say that in our contemporary age, there are people who call themselves prophets. And those people uh, that come from a particular evangelical Christian uh, viewpoint um, have a lot of influence uh, over powerful people in our society, like you know, leaders, rulers, et cetera. So um, you know, we may not pay attention to them or we may not even know about them because, you know, they may not be covered in the media or our social media feeds don't, you know, capture their messages. Uh, we're maybe in different circles, uh, but these people are out there and they're influencing lots of people. And so again, just to complicate the legacy of prophecy and it's, it's the issue is, is alive and well, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, I think that that was part of what, uh, why I was so, um, so confused when I first heard the theme, because I'm like, I understand profit from like this evangelical and Pentecostal influenced world I grew up in like what uh, but I was like what, what does that mean for you use though <laughs> that is a very different uh that's well, a very different context because you, you're right like the, there's so many people out there that probably a lot of you use just don't know about like I have an awareness because of what I grew up in 
but like having people prophesy in in a church service was a real thing at like the Assemblies of God church that my school was uh, associated with. Like that <clears throat> is, is a very different experience than what most UUs have. Exactly. And, and again, you know, the word is the same. The word we use for someone like Isaiah, you know, who lived, you know, 25 to 2800 years ago versus, you know, someone who has maybe like an online ministry who um, predicts that, you know, that God told him or her that, uh, you know, Donald Trump is going to be president again, for sure, you know, and if God is saying it, well, you know, who are we to argue with that? And not just, and I, you know, not just Donald Trump, you know, th there's other prophecies and issues and, you know, whether it's about the environment or what's going on in the Holy Land or, you know, the way the culture is going, you know, these prophets have a lot to say, these modern day self self-described prophets. Um, and again, you know, because of our social location and the way the algorithms work and so on and so forth, you know, we, we just, unless, you know, you have family members who subscribe to that viewpoint or you yourself came from that heritage, a lot of us, uh, you know, are, it, it's, it's a totally different world. And so I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's important for us to know about people and trends and viewpoints that are not like our own. I, especially as someone who grew up reading like the left behind books and all the different, here's how to interpret the prophecy of why the world's ending in 2001, <laughs> why um, John Kerry is the antichrist. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think back to those days. Uh, it was a different world for me. So instead of drawing on left behind books, I'm wondering what sources <laughs> that you drew on for, for thinking about this message. Uh the Hebrew Bible, of course, and um, that was a primary inspiration. And then reading um, journalistic accounts of the modern self-described prophecy movement in contemporary American evangelicalism. So kind of holding those two uh, things uh, in tension, I guess, yeah. Right, well, I mean, you do, and I think it's also mentioned in the message, you do also have folks that use uh, a prophet towards like the, uh, the person who's maybe working for social justice, that that's viewed as like a prophetic venture um, and that working towards a better society sort of thing. So we, we do also, um, maybe in the more liberal religion side of things, have, have that. I don't know if that's as popular in the UU world, but definitely in like the UCC and other denominations that I've been part of, like people who are fighting for social justice were being told they had a prophetic ministry. So like that, that term is used a little bit in liberal religion. It is, and I wanted to complicate that as well, actually, because that's also part of my own, you know, uh, tradition as well, and that's the kind of the tradition I was steeped in in divinity school, and that's complicated, and I, you know, I want to complicate that too, because while on the one hand, um, it's a beautiful uh, theological viewpoint and tradition, at the same time, I think sometimes what liberal Christians uh, miss in that is that the prophets, while yes, they proclaim that, you know, we should feed the hungry and we should take in the homeless poor in our homes and we should clothe the naked and we should make sure that our neighbors have what they need and, and have a vision of an equitable society. The way that that happens is not by petitioning the leaders or working hard in social movements. It, the way it comes about is God takes over. God takes over the land, God becomes the ruler, God rules over the people, and in God's realm, in God's kingdom here on earth, this is what it looks like. People don't need, uh, people won't be hungry, people won't be cold, people won't be homeless. 
Um, and, and, and in the New Testament too, that's kind of Jesus's message too, is that the kingdom of God is gonna come and this is what it looks like. The Messiah will, will is here. Um, and so it's about a messianic age. So, you know, what I'm saying is, on the one hand, we want to lift up those voices of, of creating social change, but on the other hand, the way that social change happens from a biblical point of view is that God takes over. And that's complicated because, you know, we don't really agree with the idea of like a theocratic takeover, or if someone said, well, I'm God's representative and I'm bringing God's, uh, you know, message or way of being uh, that, that just doesn't really work for us today in a democratic society or in a secular society. But that was what the vision was, you know, two to 3,000 years ago. So it's complicated. And that's why I want to lift these messages up to say that these things are very complicated. Those are things that I've struggled with. I did appreciate that in terms of visions for uh, a just world, uh, that you did um, include uh, someone who's maybe not often thought of in the in the prophetic sense in thinking about the Magnificat and thinking about uh, Mary who says that you know the rich will be cast down and the lowly lifted up and all of these things it's it's become a bit of a at least in the the radical religious social spheres that I run into these days um, that that the Magnificat is very very popular as like a scriptural reference for that um, do you want to maybe touch on that a little bit absolutely um, you know. The Song of Mary, Mary of Nazareth, uh, that you can find in the first chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, I also find, you know, very inspiring and I would say is a central text for me as well. And, and um, again, though, to complicate it, you know, the reason why the, uh, the, the powerful will be removed from their thrones and the rich will be sent away empty is that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here. Um, so we're going to enter a new messianic age. Mary is saying this messianic age that has been promised since my forebears, since Abraham, is now here. That's what the character is saying. That's what Luke has this character is saying. And um, again, on the one hand, it's a beautiful vision. And on the other hand, um, has this messianic uh, you know, proclamation come about? Is this a true prophecy or is this you know, hopeful or wishful thinking? And does this happen because we work towards it? Or is it because, you know, I think again, from the biblical viewpoint, the Messiah is gonna bring this about. And there too, you know, if you were to create a society, like let's just say, um, for example, my favorite example is Sweden. I've never been to Sweden before, but essentially a country like Sweden has uh, abolished poverty. Okay, and that's amazing and that's, it's incredible. And at the same time, would we say that Sweden is the messianic uh, hope of our forebears? Maybe, but also they didn't do it through, um, again, a theopolitical viewpoint. They did it through social democratic means. Um, so again, it's so, so complicated. I think kind of going off of that, that, <clears throat> and I touched on a little bit with the temporal ages, which is probably not going to be included with the video because it uses someone else's video as well. Uh, but the temporal ages, I talked about how, uh, you know, the, the prophets came about in these times that were really challenging and people were looking for leadership. Uh, but, you know, I think we still have that tendency nowadays. We all, we often look for some sort of political leader, some new, bright, uh, shiny congressperson that's going to suddenly be the one that actually changes things. Yeah. And we don't often look inside of ourselves for the clarity and leadership that we, we need in those challenging times. 
Yeah, and I think partly that's because some of the things that, well, depending on what you hope for too, right? If your hope is for, let's just say inner peace, which is a great goal, that is something that you can uh, do on your own. You can work on that and you can through prayer and study and reading and meditation and quiet time, that that's something that you could reasonably achieve. But, um, you know, and also, I mean, but then, you know, you look at the bigger things, right? Like feeding the hungry. Well, you know, I mean, it's interesting. We do live in a world and a society today where actually there's more of an issue of, um, an issue of excess versus uh, lack, you know, thereof. Uh, I was hearing an interview somewhere uh, recently that's where the person said that these days, the only reason why people experience hunger is because of, not because there's not enough food to go around, but it's almost like a political decision. It's a way that people, uh, certainly maybe punish other people, uh, you know, is to create hunger. And I, th I think about a place like Yemen right now where people are starving, but not because there's not enough food in Yemen, it's because of, you know, the, the war and the conflict there. Um, anyway, so I guess I almost lost my train of thought for a second. Okay, so finding leader, we want change, change is hard to create. And I think some of the big changes uh, that we're hoping for, well, Another th thing to think about is, again, from our religious uh, literature, you know, that, that we value, the, the, at the time where these things will happen, where the vision of social justice that these prophets uh, are working towards or proclaiming, it's almost like that's, that's like the end of the world. So, you know, the end of history, uh, because now uh, creation is, you know, in this new stage and God has taken over again and we're not in charge anymore. And, um, you know, so if, if we were to actually achieve these things, we would be looking at the essentially the end of history as we know it, which if you were to imagine that is, is rather hard to imagine, actually. Going to resist uh, talking about how the 90s were proclaimed as the end of history. Uh, it's tempting, it's tempting, but <laughs> not related to the topic. Uh, <laughs> Reverend Mark, it's so great to get to sit down with you as always. Absolutely, same. And thank you, as always, to all of our listeners.